Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, August 10th. Maybe you've heard in the news that the FDA has approved the first pill to treat postpartum depression. The stats I've seen are that postpartum depression affects hundreds of thousands of new mothers each year in the United States and, of course, more around the world. The newly approved medication is branded as Zorzuve, or chemically it's Zoranolone, and we'll talk about it now in the context of postpartum depression generally with Nicole Serino, MD, a reproductive psychiatrist. She um, is a professor at the Baylor College of Medicine in Texas, and she's a board member member of the support and advocacy group Postpartum Support International. Dr. Serino, thanks so much for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Oh, we don't have Dr. Serino's line hooked up yet? Um, All right, then listeners, I will put out the invitation for you, and now I think we have her, but I'll put out the invitation for you anyway. We can take calls with your experiences with postpartum depression, what work to help alleviate it, if anything, and any questions you have for our guest on the occasion of the FDA approving the first pill to treat the condition, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. And our guest, again, is Dr. Nicole Serino, a reproductive psychiatrist, Chief of the Division of Reproductive Psychiatry and Professor at the Baylor College of Medicine and a board member of Postpartum Support International. Dr. Serino, thanks a lot for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you for having me, Brian. Happy to be here. Can you begin by just defining postpartum depression? Postpartum depression does have uh, several different definitions. So let me use kind of the definition that's being used by the FDA and the approval of this new medicine. It's that um, it's a depressive episode that can occur in during pregnancy or within the first four weeks of the postpartum period. The medicine actually studies in women that had depression occur in the third trimester of pregnancy up to the first four weeks postpartum. One young mom was telling me that she thinks there's a difference uh, between postpartum depression, something labeled as that, and something less serious that people call the baby blues. Is that a distinction you make at Postpartum Support International? Yes, we do. We think that most women experience baby blues, which is up to 70% of women. We think it's hormonally mediated. Both conditions are likely hormonally mediated, but baby blues is a milder form of a condition that lasts approximately two weeks, and it occurs where you feel not necessarily depressed, but you could feel hyper-emotional. You could feel crying, sadness, elation, happiness. Um, you could feel off in terms of your ability to process emotions or thoughts, and it's, it's more mild and is not persistent. So postpartum depression, technically, you have to have five of seven symptoms of depression that last um, for more days than not over a two-week period of time. Uh-huh. Interesting distinction. Um, what causes postpartum depression, and who tends to be vulnerable to it? 
we think one in seven or one in eight women experience postpartum depression. And there are many different causes. It's truly a condition that has both biologic causes and then we would say psychosocial causes as well, the social determinants of health, et cetera. So um, we can look at each of those categories, but let's start first with the biologic categories. We do know there's a genetic component to postpartum depression. means that you are more vulnerable to getting postpartum depression if you have a personal episode of depression, if your mother um, or have an episode of depression in your family, um, particularly in the postpartum period, or if you're sensitive to hormonal changes. For instance, if you had an onset of uh, depressive symptoms when you were prescribed birth control pills or in the premenstrual phase, something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So from a biologic, we also notice an increased risk of postpartum depression for women who have experienced high-risk pregnancies um, or have experienced difficult births. So there are other like obstetric complications that can lead to postpartum depression as well. Mm-hmm. From like a social determinant of health factor, we know um, that, that black women and minority women are more likely to suffer postpartum depression. We know that women who are unpartnered or have a low um, access to support, et cetera, are more likely to suffer from postpartum depression as well. Women with twins, so there's some social factors, uh, determinants of health that as well can influence the expression of postpartum depression. On the racial disparity, do you think that's largely linked to poverty, relative poverty rates, or other things? You know, we think that it's, it could be related to poverty rates, access to care, um, bias in communities, or discrimination against, you know, either women seeking care or screening women for postpartum depression um, in women who do not have access to health care. Um, there's probably several several factors involved there. We'll get to the newly approved pill, which is obviously the news hook for this conversation. But I see that there was another postpartum depression drug approved in 2019, described at that time as the first medication approved by the FDA for this, called Zoreso. But I see that has to be administered intravenously. Is that right? Can you talk about that medication and how um, you or anyone else in, in practice has had experience with that over the four years that it's been approved? Yes, uh, that was the first uh, FDA-approved medicine for postpartum depression. It is a, a an infusion that requires um, 72 hours, in, typically in, in a hospital setting or an overnight infusion setting. It typically runs for just the medication $34,000 for this infusion. And um, the up uh, kick and actual use of this medication has been limited. I saw a recent New York Times article that Sage had said that there's about um, I believe about a thousand participants thus far since the FDA approval. So the um, cost has been significantly prohibitive of our use and a widespread throughout the U.S. Mm. And um, so we have not. Uh, many of us have have seen very little use of this medication. Now it is the same um, mechanism of action as the current medicine, the oral pill. Um, so that is what is exciting. Is also is that this medication now has um, a similar mechanism of action, which is different than other mechanisms of actions for antidepressants um, and is an oral form. Um, and how before 2019, before there was any medication, was postpartum depression treated? You're a psychiatrist, so I imagine there have been best practices, and there would still be, that are interpersonal, not just drug treatments. 
Well, interestingly enough, we we absolutely do have behavioral interventions that are personal interventions, but we actually frequently use medications that are approved for a major depressive disorder, like, for instance, sertraline block, the class of SSRIs, to treat postpartum depression. So it is not that we have a medication that we're using for the first time with these two FDA approvals. It's just that these are medicines that are generic, have been studied, are effective, and have not been FDA approved, partly because of, you know, part of our system works is the FDA approval process often um, requires a good deal of financial support, et cetera, right? So in, oh, the older generic medicines are often not going to go for that indication. All right. Tell us about the new medication. What is it? So Zoranolone is in the category of what we call a neuroactive steroid. So it is um, a synthetic version of a metabolite of progesterone. So progesterone is one of the hormones of pregnancy that obviously significantly increases during pregnancy with a rapid drop in the postpartum period. And it's believed to be these drops in hormones that uh, have produced active neuroactive steroids or changes in the brain that can increase the onset of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So this is a synthetic oral version of something called allopregnanolone or allo. And it works on one of the neurotransmitter systems in our brain, which is the GABA, the GABAergic system. So this is a medication that one would take at night for 14 days. And um, it's considered to be in the new category of some antidepressants that are kind of more rapid acting antidepressants. You know, I've heard of medicines like um, esketamine other medications that work quickly, more traditionally quicker than the SSRIs or the traditional antidepressants that can take mm-hmm. up to four to six weeks to take effect. So this one had seen benefit over placebo three days and then at 14 days. And then has been followed up to 45 days. So women would take it for 14 days, stop it. And um, that is the mechanism of action is that this would be a shorter acting, non a long-term medication. Dr. Serino, um, how much is this a political as well as a medical issue for you? The FDA is a government agency, after all, and many women's health issues are on various levels political, related to women's place in society in many ways, uh, how, medical, how medical science prioritizes women's health issues or not, and other factors. So how much is, is this a political question for you um, beyond the question of the FDA, or including the question of the FDA approving the new medication? Yes, interesting question. So, you know, the politics of FDA approval, healthcare, for-profit, um, national, you know, I think I, we, a lot of us are frustrated with the lack of research money spent towards maternal mental health and why we have not moved the needle forward as far as we should in terms of maternal mental health. You know, luckily, we do have a lot of research looking at postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, but, you know, things like postpartum psychosis and some of the tragedies that continue to hit the United States in terms of women suffering from postpartum psychosis and um, some of the more severe conditions we just have not seen in very many drug treatments or new treatments or even research in those areas. So I, I, I feel... We keep working on it, but we are disheartened. And related to this, um, a text and a tweet that have come in 
Listen to rights. So fitting that a drug could help women would be so costly. Now, that relates to the previous drug we were talking about, the one administered intravenously, which you said has not actually been used that much in its four years since FDA approval, partly because of its cost. Um, but so the listener was reacting to that. So fitting that a drug that could help women would be so costly, not a surprise. And then a listener tweets, help for new mothers as well as quality universal child care should also be approved. So can you respond to either of those two listeners? Yeah, so regarding cost, you know, it is true that new medicines when they come out are cost typically cost prohibitive. I was reading um, uh, one financial analysis of this that that was concerned about the pricing of this new medicine because it did not get the FDA approved for major depressive disorder, meaning that now we have such a kind of smaller population this medicine to be used for, so I, I'm not into the profit margin, et cetera, but is that going to actually increase the cost of this medicine and make it cost prohibitive? You know, the good news is that SSRIs like sertraline and Zoloft Sertraline or Zoloft, you know, are very inexpensive. They've been around for so long. So there still are effective, there are still effective low-cost medicines that we can use to treat postpartum depression. But we just don't know where the price point is going to come out on this medicine. Oh, um, you don't, you don't know is, yet where yeah. the, the on, uh, so now we're not talking about the old medicine that you already said was the expensive. Now we're talking about the newly approved one, which I gather is not actually going to be available to patients until October. You don't know what the price point is going to be? They've, they have not released the price point, according to what my research over the last two days. They are um, waiting to release that information. I also are waiting to see um, what a category, um, uh, the classification in terms of controlled substances it's going to come out on. So there are, there are a few more questions to be asked before we're going to actually see it on the shelves, for sure. What about insurance coverage? Do you have a sense yet of this is of it of whether it's going to be generally covered by most private insurance policies? I mean, this is the million dollar question, right? Um, so uh, we I don't know if they're going to make you work through like one to two tiers first, fail other agents. You know, it there's a lot that we don't know, and this is why our complicated healthcare system can can sometimes be a barrier for access to care. So I would not be thinking that, that that's going to be a simple process to get it into our doctor's hands for me to start to using for our patients in our perinatal mood disorder clinic. It, I'm not, I think there's going to be some barriers and I'm waiting to see what's going to happen. But wow. just want to remind the audience that that does not mean wait for treatment. We have, we still have treatment available. We're doing that every day, multiple times a day that are, is effective. But that insurance and question. And that's the older medicines. And right. that being the million-dollar unknown, uh, that's a story. That's a political story. Do you think members yeah. of Congress or anything, anyone else should take this up and say, uh, you know, try to pass legislation to guarantee its approval as some other things are required to be covered by insurance? There are a lot of people attempting from all angles to make this accessible and affordable. And so, you know, we have a, a kind of a political wing of Postpartum Support International that I'm not involved in what they're doing, like currently on being able to access Zoranolone. But we are all aware that new medicines that come out can be expensive. We want to get them into the hands of the women that are suffering. So I, if anyone has ideas, I am happy to <laughs> pass it on to our, those in our, the political wing of our, of our organization for sure. 
Oh, our listeners have ideas about political activism. So <laughs> listeners, text and tweet them. Text at Brian Lehrer, tw- uh, text at uh, 212-433-WNYC, or tweet at Brian Lehrer, and we'll make sure that Dr. Serino uh, sees them to pass on to the political wing of her group um, um, that, uh, that works on these issues. Let's take another phone call. Elizabeth in Morristown, you're on WNYC. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, um, I'm so grateful to hear all this treatment and support for people, for women. Um, I had a doctor that told me to stop crying. You just had a baby. Um, but anyway, um, my question is, I did get treatment. I'm taking, I finally a wild found guess a that that, I'm taking a wild guess that that doctor was a man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was horrific. <laughs> I had horrible postpartum depression. And I finally found a female doctor that helped me, and I went on antidepressants. But my question is, is um, I was great. I was present as a mother. I, I, it really helped me. But then fast forward, I had my kids over 25 years ago. When I hit menopause, I fell into the dark abyss again. Are women that have postpartum, are they predisposed for menopausal uh, waves of depression as well? And does this medicine help? Thanks for bringing that up. I wasn't, yeah, absolutely. So we also run a menopause program here at Baylor. Um, we see, we know, we know for sure that that is a, a risk factor for perimenopausal mood instability or perimenopausal uh, major depressive disorder is having postpartum depression. We think women who are sensitive to the hormonal fluctuation are going to be sensitive throughout their lifetime. So I usually will see a patient back, you know, after her second baby, after her third baby. Sometimes it's to be you know, not just, sometimes it's just to monitor them and to make sure that they don't get depressed again. But then often we will see them back during the perimenopausal period as well. So there, it's a similar mechanism of action. You have estrogen and progesterone withdrawal during the perimenopausal period. You have a, a withdrawal of, you know, for instance, this, this uh, allopregnanolone, this, the, the medicine that we're now finding that is helpful for postpartum depression. I mean, there may be some version of it that we could also use in perimenopausal depression, but that's a couple of years from now, I think. Elizabeth, thank but you for your call. Also, Go ahead, yeah. Dr. Serena. You want to finish a thought? I was just going to say that it's just fun to think about. That's also why we do use hormone therapy to help with mood in the perimenopausal period because, right, we're talking about the same thing, neuroactive steroids, which are hormones. Yeah. Dr. Serena, as we run out of time, um, you know, this is something, I guess, that people aren't generally prepared for. It's not like you get an early warning sign that you have heart disease or cancer, and then you can kind of gear up for your treatment over time or other diseases and conditions uh, that you may be able to do that for. You know, it's like, boom, you have a baby, and boom, this hits you, and you didn't know it was coming. So what advice can you give to new mothers uh, who, or people who are pregnant right now, not even new mothers, um, or maybe in the future, as this drug is going to come on the market in October and people don't know yet if it's going to be affordable. You said they haven't set the price for it yet. We don't know yet if insurance is going to cover it. What, what's your advice for individuals who are going to give birth um, not knowing what their treatment options are going to be. Right. Well, I mean, I, I would say a couple of things, but, you know, especially if you're someone that might be vulnerable 
to depression, that means if you have a history of postpartum depression or a difficult delivery, labor, um, high-risk pregnancy, then I would um, in, I would talk to your partner, your physician early on and, and discuss that they are concerned about those the risk factors. Could you be watched more closely, make sure that there's screening that occurs? And not and then let's not wait for this treatment to come out. Like I said, there's already treatments in place, but you want to do a combination of psychosocial support and not uh, decrease isolation, a chance to heal so that somebody's helping you with the baby basic self care, and then um, and then possibly if you consider seeing a mental health professional that specializes in perinatal mood disorders, and you can also find that at postpartum support international postpartum.net finding something expert in the area. So it is actually a, a very treatable condition, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. It's often missed, undertreated, and misunderstood. But if you actually get treatment, you do get well. So that's what I recommend. Dr. Nicole Serino, Chief of the Division of Reproductive Psychiatry at the Baylor College of Medicine and a board member of Postpartum Support International. Thank you so much for joining us Judging from our calls and texts and tweets, you've been very helpful to a lot of people today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.